to look briefly, we're going to endeavor to look briefly at just a couple of things that occur here in this introduction of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And the first question is, why might John have introduced Jesus this way? It's a unique introduction. It's not a genealogy. There's not a birth narrative. It's a very unique way that John introduces Jesus. And by way of illustration, um, I think it's interesting to take something that's common, that's maybe modern, that's familiar, and trace its roots back as far as you can. So this is one thing I love about Aubrey Spears in Harrisonburg. If you bring up something like democracy or liberalism um, or, or anything, um, he can, in a brilliant way, trace it back to the, to, you know, through these different streams of philosophy and through these different revolutions and, and all these different, so that by the end of the conversation you have this amazing appreciation for um, uh, not just where you are currently, but perhaps where you're going or what the implications of it are that have been proven out elsewhere. I can't do that nearly as well as Aubrey can, but I can talk a little bit about music. So some people here have probably heard of normal, like modern bands like, like um, Coldplay, right? Um, if you haven't, you're not missing a whole lot. Um, if you listen to Coldplay, and, and if you know anything about another band called Radiohead, you think, eh, Coldplay is just like diet Radiohead, right? They're not doing anything spectacular or new if you listen to, ra which is, Radiohead's just harder to listen to because they're a lot more technical and innovative. Maybe another band that you could think of would be U2, right? So you think of a band like U2 and you just think, wow, they've been around for, I mean, since 1979, I think their first album came out. Um, they're, they're still amazing. They just did this thing in Dublin where they were busking and they sang Oh Holy Night in this um, street. You can YouTube it in, in Dublin and all these people gathered around and it was beautiful. I mean, they still have it. But with, if you think about U2 and how innovative they are, and how they've stood the test of time, they don't exist without black gospel. They don't exist without Motown. They don't exist without Elvis Presley. And Elvis Presley doesn't exist without Benny Goodman and Big Band. And you keep going back and back and back in, in modern Western music until you get to Mozart or, or others. Those artists are the, the arteries and capillaries that feed all of our modern music. They're the sinews that still hold it together. Whether we listen to those um, artists from other generations or not, we hear them all the time. We hear them every time we turn on the radio, pulsing through whatever we hear. And, and to understand that is to develop a, a greater knowledge and appreciation of, of how we got to where we are, and in a, in a sense, who we are. In a way, that's what John is doing here in his opening. Um, he's answering these questions. How far back does Jesus go? Um, okay, we all live in this world. We all enjoy things that have been created. All of us have been created. Um, everything that we experience and enjoy and struggle with has been created. And John takes us all the way back to even before the foundations of the world. With music, we can go back a few hundred years John takes us back before the foundation of the world was laid and says, Jesus was there. In fact, everything that came into being came into being through him. He was the agent of the creation of every single thing that exists. 
and he, and he doubles down. Nothing exists that wasn't created by him. He makes it very clear. So John's taking us all the way back to, to demonstrate the preeminence of this logos, this word. Whether you listen to Jesus or not, just like where, whether you listen to Jesus or not, Jesus is the author of the thing. He's overseeing the whole thing. He's the, the arteries and the capillaries and the sinews that feed it and hold the whole thing together. There's no way around it, John says. And that stirs our knowledge of Jesus. And it stirs our appreciation of Jesus. And ultimately, it stirs our acceptance of Jesus through belief upon Jesus, which we'll see later. Listen again to this brief, these five verses here at the very beginning and how John does this, how he takes us back to, to understand where we're standing right now is not unique. It's not of our own making. It's, it's all undergirded by Christ. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So not a tree or flower, not a lung or pancreas, not an insect or king has ever had its being apart from Jesus Christ. And the same goes for you and me. So the first question then is, how might, why might John have introduced Jesus this way? And I think that first, what we're seeing there is to demonstrate the preeminence of Jesus. But then the second thing that we can look at, another thing that we can look at, is how close did Jesus come to us? If he's this great God, if he's being equated with God, how close did he come? Hebrews, in the very first verse of chapter 1, says that in long ago, in many ways, at many times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. A literal translation of that, you could say, you could render it to mean um, long ago, at, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to us in a prophet kind of a way. Just with words. Uh, rising up a mouthpiece. God spoke to us in a prophet kind of a way. Now, in these last days, He's spoken to us in a son kind of a way. A different, completely different kind of way. So how close to us did Jesus come? In verse 14, your Bible open, John goes on to say, And the Word, this eternal Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We hear them every week in the liturgy when we're consecrating and giving thanks um, for, for the bread and for the wine. So it's easy to just kind of let, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. That's basic. But let that sink in, just for a second. This God who created everything, who sustains everything, He came into this creation. 
He took on flesh. He left where he was and he trapped himself in a sense, submitted himself to be put into a body, a human body. And then he stayed here. He tabernacled among us. He stayed among us. He walked with us. He spoke with us. As John on to say, we have seen His glory. Glory is as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God became flesh. He entered His creation. He goes on to say, and, and kind of um, making sure that we understand this, John demonstrates it through these I am statements that are famous, that is one of the things the gospel is famous for. Um, these seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. He's using the same words that we would understand to be Yahweh. Um, so kind of laying it between the lines, but, but calling himself Yahweh. Signaling that this is who um, you're looking at. You are looking... Um, the, at the glory of God. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am, I am, I am. The Word, Yahweh, from the beginning, through whom everything was made, is here. And He's telling us that He's here. He's telling us that He's taken on a body dwelling among us. So lastly, what response does God call from us? This is interesting. Just like those conversations with Aubrey can be interesting or maybe less interesting, a conversation with me about music. And there are some implications if you talk to Aubrey about a philosophy or something like that. And that's good. But what are the implications of this? What are the implications of John, who's, let's remember, writing with an agenda? I mean, he's not just sitting down for his own sake and writing, like, blogging, right, about his experiences or writing a memoir. This is John writing with an agenda. He's writing a persuasive document. He's an evangelist, and he's a pastor. And, and he's going to tell us in just a moment what he wants from us. This is the writing. This is what I'm trying to evoke. What are the implications of Jesus, this Word, becoming flesh and dwelling among us? Look back to verse 9. We can read verse 9-13. through 13. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So we see these, these words kind of emerging that John is lacing in toward the end of this introduction that, that here's this eternal Word who made everything and sustains everything, and He's become flesh and He's dwelt among us. He's told us repeatedly who He is. He's let us see Him and touch Him and hear Him. And John is saying, you need to know Him. You need to know Him. 
came into the world, yet the world did not know Him. In this moment, in this tiny little corner of the world that we all live in, in this tiny little generation that we're part of, in this tiny little speck of history, John is, for all time, stretching everyone's mind back to before anything was and and helping us absorb Jesus pulses through everything. Jesus created and sustains everything. I need to know Jesus. He came into the world that He might be known. So, number one is, as we see here in the text, John is writing so that you and I would know Jesus. We would know this light. This One who is full of grace and truth. He came to His own, says it a different way, and His own people did not receive Him. So there's another word. He's writing so that we would receive Him. Well, how do we receive Him? Let every heart prepare Him room. How do we do that? What is, what's, the, what's the way that we do that? And he says, but to all who did receive Him, and then he modifies it, who believed in His name. Who all, who, all who did receive Him who believed in His name. So there's, there's a correlation there. A, a one-to-one correlation. To receive Him is to believe in His name. To believe you are Yahweh. You are God. In the flesh. Here among us. That's why John is writing that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That He is full of grace and truth. He's writing so that we would understand based upon Jesus' position. And John the Baptist even says it. He's greater than I am because he's before I was. Right? John's older. Um, Physically older. John is pointing this back to us as well. That it doesn't get truer than Jesus. John wants us to know Him. The world did not know Him, but John is writing that you and I might know Him. He wants us to receive Him and believe in His name. Ultimately, and as we come to the table in just a moment, ultimately Jesus came to be known not just as the Creator. He's not just coming to swagger around and, and finally like kind of come and and hang out with us so that we would recognize how great He is. It's quite the opposite. Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, took on flesh in the first place. Took on a body so that He could die for us. He took on a body so that He could be a perfect mediator for us. The writer of Hebrews says, we have to do these sacrifices all day. Every day. All year. And all we're really doing is hitting the snooze bar on our own guilt. We can get temporary atonement so that we can get cleaned up enough to come and worship God again, but we all know it's going to wear off and we're going to have to keep doing this. The writer of Hebrews says this. But then it says of Jesus, but a body you have prepared for me. Different than the body of a bull. Different than the body of a sheep. Different than the body of some turtle doves. A body you have prepared for me. He took on flesh and dwelt among us so that He could carry our sins and be sacrificed for us. As John the Baptist will say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
That's the one that John wants us to know. That's the one John wants us to receive and to organize our lives around, to put our belief on. So maybe in in terms of worshiping Jesus Christ as God, maybe some of them, like Mary, His mother, right now need to receive Jesus by faith. Even though He represents a disruption, His nearness brings a disruption into our sense of normalcy and control. Yet Mary, by faith, received this interruption gladly. This massive upheaval. She received it because she recognized that Jesus is special. It's not going to get truer than this. It's not going to get greater than this. It's not going to get more full of grace and truth than this. Maybe someone here is wrestling with Jesus right now because he represents a disruption. Maybe he's got his fingers in stuff that you don't want him to deal with, that you don't want him to to touch, like Zacchaeus maybe. We need to come to him and say, yeah, whatever I'm doing, I want you in my life. I want you to come reorganize things. Maybe it's just to follow him with Peter and John laying aside things that may be holding you back. Or maybe it's with doubt, falling down with Thomas and saying, my Lord and my God. That's what I can say. I've got doubts. I've got questions. I'm agitated. But I want to say, my Lord and my God. I believe in your name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.